It's 1700 in Seoul, 11 a.m. in Istanbul, 10 a.m. here in Zurich, and 9 a.m. in London. You're listening to Monocle 24. Monocle on Saturday starts now. Good morning. We're live in Zurich and you're listening to Monocle on Saturday. Coming up, Japan is warned that it is not doing enough to halt the spread of COVID-19. Meanwhile, even the most conservative companies are rethinking ways to do business in a country that has been reluctant to embrace the idea of working from home. We'll hear from Monocle's bureau chief in Tokyo, Fiona Wilson. We'll also be in Hong Kong, where bars and pubs have been ordered to close for two weeks. All that ahead, plus a roundup of the day's papers. It's Saturday, the 4th of April. Live from Dufourstrasse 90 here in Zurich, this is Monocle on Saturday. Good morning. We're live in Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Saturday uh, with me, Tyler Brule. Um, just uh, a couple of things across the hour. We're going to be going uh, to Japan. We're going to be talking to our, uh, our Fiona Wilson. Uh, we're also going to be in Hong Kong, uh, of course, uh, a little bit uh, later uh, as well. It's, uh, if you're just waking up right now, it's uh, Saturday the 4th of April. We are live in Zurich, and this is Monocle on Saturday. Just uh, before we we move on with, of course, our uh, our guests and uh, a couple of uh, other topics, uh, let's just have a look at what's happening around the world. Uh, China has observed a three-minute silence to mourn the victims of the country's coronavirus outbreak. The White House has been accused of sending mixed messages over whether the U.S. public should wear face masks. And a police robot is patrolling the streets of the Tunisian capital, Tunis, to ensure that residents are observing the lockdown. We have a great lineup today. We're going to be uh, talking to our Fiona Wilson. We're going to be talking to James Chambers uh, in Hong Kong as well. But I'm happy to say uh, that uh, Juliet uh, Lindley uh, is here. Uh, bit of an interesting start. Don't know what happened uh, at Control Base uh, back in London. But anyway, Juliet, you're here. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. So good to see you again, Tyler. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, so since uh, you were last here, which was just six days ago, uh, we've now got you in on a Saturday. Uh, why don't we just talk about uh, the week? Because I guess you must be somewhat happy that... Um, Easter holidays are here. So you're, you're out of what has been almost three weeks of, four weeks of homeschooling now? Two weeks, two weeks. Two weeks of homeschooling. And yes, I have to admit, it is a bit of a relief. Uh, yes, don't need to open up all those um, iPads and get the kids online in time for their online registration and all that. But that said, like so many parents uh, around the world, as Easter break approaches, everybody is wondering, well, what are we going to do with the kids? How much online yoga can you have them doing in the living room? Um, how many sprints can you have them doing on the terrace if you're lucky enough to have a little garden maybe you can have them go out and maybe even do an easter egg hunt who knows during the day but i mean other than that yeah so it's a bit of a bittersweet moment uh and, and with that though uh, i mean of course there's there's been a lot of discussion uh in switzerland i wouldn't we can't call it, call it threatening noises but as we were saying in the last hour um there there's been certainly the federal council in switzerland said okay Anyway, don't do what you want, but of course we're not going to prevent you. And this is a time of year that normally around Easter time people head south. If you're if you're in Lucerne, if you're in Zurich, if you're in Basel, people tend to head down to Ticino, uh, which of course is the Italian part of this country. Uh, it's an area which has been particularly hard hit. We've seen a lot of stories right now saying that, of course, they haven't quite reached the peak. They think that probably over the next four or five days is going to be a very critical time. The last thing that they need is then the north of Switzerland descending um, on on the region. What does that mean, Juliet, for for people who are here in in Zurich? Because I think that there is there is obviously 
you know, a huge fear with good weather that uh, that all things you know might uh, might unravel a little bit. That is indeed the fear, isn't it, Tyler? We are seeing news that um, the the interior ministry is saying they're going to increase police presence uh, to indeed avoid people from rushing down to the south to have their risotto and their um, merlot wines in Ticino. And honestly, that's not something you commonly see in Zurich, is it? A police presence and. Uh, no, you never see police cars in the city. I've, I've never seen the cops in Zurich. Except when they're catching you for speeding, Tyler. Uh, well, that's, that's those, those nice gray boxes and cameras, which do a very efficient job, as we know. Uh, yeah, so, so Interior Minister Alain Berset is indeed urging people not to head south, saying indeed that the peak hasn't been reached yet. But we are seeing uh, more people out and about. The weather is great. I have to say, ever since the lockdown was announced mid-March, it's never been sunnier or warmer in this city, has it? So... Uh, it's going to be tough to keep people in. And as, as you were saying, it, there, there hasn't been a clear demarcation of what exactly is lockdown in terms of in relation to, say, Italy, where you absolutely are not allowed to go out. And so it, people are sort of, well, can I just go for a walk on my own? Yes, you can. But if we all go for walks on our own and we all go down to the lake, all of a sudden you're not just three people, maximum five. No. Uh, do, do we want to maybe start with um, the papers? Uh, we, we can do this at a leisurely pace today. There's, uh, there's no, great, uh, no great rush. Uh, but, uh, but where do you want to start? Uh, Let me start with Switzerland. Of... Let me start with the okay. Tagi, the Tagesan Tiger. The Tagesan Tiger. Okay, which, for, again, for our listeners who are not familiar with, uh, with the Tagi, the Tagi is one of the newspapers uh, of record uh, in, uh, in Zurich, in German-speaking Switzerland. It is, uh, of course, uh, you know, they're in line with, uh, with, with the NZZ. But one would say... Not as widely read beyond the borders of Switzerland. It's much. It almost feels like Zurich's. It's it Zurich's a paper in a way, where the NZZ like is. Which is why you like it. Okay, so what have you, what have you found? Well, no, of course they're headlining um, that Switzerland has doubled the emergency uh, loans program to forty billion francs to stave off insolvencies. And I mean, as we know, in just one week, companies here have uh, taken out fourteen billion francs in state-backed loans. Now, um, Finance Minister Uli Maurer is saying that 400,000 small companies, SMEs, are struggling, and, and most of those companies uh, employ less than 10 people. And businesses, just, just as background, businesses can borrow up to 20 million francs, Tyler, at a lower zero interest, and they have five years to repay their debt. But that said, uh, in the Tagi, they're saying how the government blocked a plan by Interior Minister Berset to inject 100 million francs into creating more Kinderkrippe, into more daycare centers. Because as we've talked about before on air and off air, for working parents, uh, having your children at home, online schooling, coupled with everything else, like cooking, housework, all of that, is, is, is debilitating in a way. And a lot of parents are, are really sort of demanding that, aren't they? Maybe they are. I mean, I I feel like that I, I fall over the kinder the, the sort of the kindergartens when you when you walk around here. I mean, compared to here other, in Seyfel, yeah, there well, are a lot, I mean, compared to other cities around the world, it's it is quite interesting uh, that that here there there really seems to be already um, enough of a safety. I know I might be going to dangerous no, territory here right much. now. They well, of course, it's what's when everything costs a lot here. But, well, it's prohibitive for a lot of of, of let's say working. So so you're up, you're upset that Mr. Berset has so that, that that he. That he blocked this hundred million. I'm so upset. And another thing that upsets me, no, is on page twelve of the Tagi of the Tagisan Tiger, they're looking at um, the issue of alcoholism and are we drinking more under lockdown? Uh, apparently, yes, 
one is drinking more under lockdown. Oh, you don't say. Uh, <laughs> no bars, no pubs, but at home. Mm. And perhaps one tends to drink even more when one is within the four walls of one's own home. So anyway, so they're looking at, um, at, at numbers. They said they don't have statistics as yet of a spike in perhaps violence linked to alcohol, but that is what some are concerned about and perhaps expecting. And um, then there's a little... A, a little you, I want to interrupt. Do you think there's too much attention right now on... It's almost domestic violence is the only other mental health story that we're spending time on uh, because you, you see the World Health Organization talking about it and it's sort of like this other sort of parallel issue, which of course it is serious, but I don't think that enough of a light is being shone on many other aspects or, that are going on as of well. Mental so, of, of mental health? Of mental health. It's like we've well, got this whole focus. Well, the elderly? Well, exactly. Being I mean, on their I, own isolation. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a lot on that, for example. Uh, and even the, the mental health of hmm. small business owners, like we're, we're sure. everyone sort of concerned about domestic violence. Well, a lot of people have been living in the same four walls for a long time, they can still they can still go out. So I know I think we need to be expanding this beyond you know, I, the notion of, of course, that there is violence you know in, in the household. No, I mean you have a point. I mean, I I haven't seen any statistics, but I'm expecting to see uh, numbers for let's say even suicides of of small business owners. I mean, I think in Italy there have been some um, yeah some bad news coming out on that front. So uh, yes, domestic violence isn't the only thing out there. But but it is an issue when you're uh, locked up and locked down. Absolutely. Let's go back to um, the, the story, though, that they're running about this the, the al- potential alcoholism um, issue. No, I was, I was just going to wrap it up by saying that on the front on the front page they have a little cartoon <laughs> that you have, you have to, to that your deliver that your daily delivery is arriving quite soon. <laughs> no, well, there of course there is a boom in online booze retailers as For you can sure. imagine. No, the cartoon just has a, a has a gentleman who's clearly in a shop that's selling alcohol and he's on the phone. He's saying, "Yeah." All the booze is gone, more or less, and then behind him there is a pile of Corona beers untouched. Right. Well, you saw they're also stopping production of Corona beer uh, as well. Uh, We can do this another day to get to the bottom of why it's even called coronavirus. I I never... you know, and not the Wuhan. Well, virus. well, COVID nineteen, or why it's not called the Wuhan virus, uh, and and many other things. And so I, I, I do, I do, I haven't. Have you read that story? I don't. I haven't. I haven't seen that story. The cor- the Corona story. So no, maybe that's we'll a, that's a deep time. investigation that we that we need to look at. On the topic, though, you've given mm-hmm. us a very good segue because tomorrow morning uh, on uh, our Sunday program, we're going to have Chandra Kurt here. Um, in the spirit of of maybe having a drink at home, Chandra Kurt, of course, is a Swiss wine expert, and she will be telling our listeners and telling us uh, what is tasty to have around the table across Easter um, and certainly at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, uh, which I think is also completely acceptable as this, of course, is a global show. So it's it's after five o'clock somewhere in the world. Somewhere uh, in the world. So at, at, that's going to be tomorrow morning from 10 o'clock uh, Zurich time here on Monocle 24. Uh, are we done with the um, with the, the, the papers? With the taggy, yes. But with I would the- like to point out, like, I think we, we touched on it briefly, social entrepreneurs and how you're seeing a lot of... Uh, Social entrepreneurs popping up to help uh, online platforms. For instance, the Be Local Hero in Switzerland, they connect customers via virtual maps to show you in your neighborhood where you can go for local produce. And also, um, like Mitanan.me and Points, there are other Swiss platforms, they're selling vouchers to be redeemed in the future. So, for instance, buy 10 haircuts now so that you give them money. They're all all hurting, aren't they? Right now, they have no income, and so you can sort of buy on the future market. I I like the idea of buying buying, the future market. Yes. 10 haircuts uh, in, um, in advance. What about masks policy? Are you wearing your mask when you go out? Uh, no, I don't have them. I mean, can you even get, this is the issue, can you get a mask? I was I wanted to get a mask because I had a bit of a, I was up in the mountains for, for two days 
and I noticed that the woman who looks after our building, she was wearing a mask. And then I went to the pharmacy just just out of interest. Do you have any masks? And they're absolutely not, even though they were all wearing masks in the pharmacy behind plexiglass um, as well. So no. And I think one of the interesting things this week is Zurich starts its own production. So the city of Zurich has bought their own uh, mask-making machine um, to the tune of 760,000 Swiss francs, and they will be able to produce 32,000 masks a day now in Zurich from next week. So that's good. line up. No, I think that's, I mean, it's interesting because I think at a time when you see so many people getting on the case of, of various manufacturers, various governments, of course, overnight, uh, you know, we've, we've heard that, you know, that supposedly uh, the White House has been demanding uh, that 3M, uh, of course, one of the biggest makers of, of medical masks in the world, should not uh, be exporting to Canada. They should keep all of the supply in the United States, which is rather difficult when this is, of course, a global multinational company and they have to, of course, keep many other markets um, happy happy as well. So uh, I think, you know, when people are sort of fumbling around and looking for supply, that's actually quite an interesting idea that the city just said, look, we're going to move into production ourselves. Swiss efficiency for you. Now, let me let me ask you this on the on one, on the front page of Corriere Sera of the Italian Daily. I'm looking here at the opinions, and um, Gramellini, Massimo Gramellini, is saying that he wears his mask as a placebo. So he's sort of putting it on just to calm everybody else's fears. But he says, "I whip it off right away." And then I see here in Zurich people jogging with their masks mm. on. That that seems a bit extreme. But he's saying, you know, masks in the future are probably here to stay, just as they are much more so in Asia, aren't they? You you see them far more when people travel through airports. You see them more on Asian people than uh, Europeans. For sure, and I, th- I think, and I think and- Europeans still have a, a bit of a, a cultural issue with them. And as we know, of course, you know, our, our colleagues in Japan are wearing masks uh, because it's normally when when they're ill, or certainly this time of year, and not in in a year of a virus, uh, because of pollen uh, as well. And this is something which is, you know, it it is a good pollen protector. I think it would be a shame, though, if we ended up in a a world where, you know, masks became the norm um, all the time. Maybe for a little uh, bit of uh, reference and perspective on that, uh, we should cross over to Tokyo. Our bureau chief, uh, Fiona Wilson, uh, is standing by. Good afternoon, Fiona. Hello there. Okay, so just <laughs> Juliet clearly has a question about uh, the the notion of masks. You've been in in uh, I, I say you've been in Japan for decades now. Uh, I actually have to say I, I I don't think I've ever seen you wearing a mask uh, oddly. And I'm wondering as uh, yeah as 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 the European sitting in our bureau as uh, yeah as a Westerner in in Tokyo, do you still find there's a bit of a somehow a bit of a cultural bridge to cross, uh, or do you do it in in yeah when 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 appropriate? It's a it's a very interesting question. I mean, funnily enough, I never suffered from uh, the the pollen, the hay fever that you're talking about until last year. Um, so that hasn't really been an issue, and um, also been remarkably uh, free of colds, luckily. But I can tell you now, I absolutely am wearing a mask, um, and everybody is. And it's just here. There's no problem with people wearing masks. It's not seen as strange or clinical. It's totally normal to walk into a shop, order a coffee, wearing a mask. No problem. You can go into the the grooviest shop in Tokyo at the moment, Visvim, UA, whatever. They're all wearing masks. All the staff and. You know, it's just standard here. And I think this issue of does it really make a difference? You know, people aren't even asking that question. They're just thinking, well, we're wearing them anyway. No problem. And in fact, there's a new I mean, Shinzo Abe's coming for a lot of stick, I have to say. But there's a, a plan next week. Every household will be uh, receiving two masks. Um 
through the post. So uh, they're, they're sort of gauze masks by the looks of them. But uh, so that that's going to be uh, next week's uh, excitement. Yeah, he's certainly got in a bit of trouble for this. They're also going to be washable as well, I understand. So, yeah, two for every household. Uh, so, I guess that throw mm-hmm. throw them in, throw them in the washer in the tumble dryer, uh, and then you can you can whack them on again. And and I guess people I, I would gather are just annoyed, probably because not that effective, but more to the point, a bit of a waste of taxpayers' dollars. Well, it, it, it seemed quite quite a, quite a strange priority. Um, Definitely. And of course, you know, he, he's become an internet meme. Uh, absolutely. You know, they put masks over his eyes. Is he really looking at the real situation? People saying, what do you do if you've got three children? Are you going to pick the two favourites if you've only got these two masks? So, um, yeah, he's come in for quite a lot of stick for this policy. But I think, you know, here, the mask, there's, there, there's just no issue. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting, the European American perspective on it, which is thinking that it's something so extraordinary. Um, and it's interesting throughout Asia. It's, it's it's just uh, standard practice. So that that's interesting in the long run to see what difference that makes. And I, I feel that there's been very, very mixed messaging, say, from the WHO. You know, you've had the US government saying one thing, now saying another. Um, and I think here it hasn't really had to be an issue. They haven't had to say that much about masks because people will just be wearing them anyway. Mm. Fiona, last week when we checked in uh, on you, there was obviously a, an issue, um, of, of course, well, not an issue, but uh, we, we saw Tokyo under its, its first lockdown. Uh, what, what's happened this weekend? Is it, is it the exact same situation? It has, and has it been extended uh, beyond uh, Tokyo at this point? Uh, do we see this in Osaka and Fukuoka and elsewhere? Well, this is it's, it's the exact same situation. Um, amazing weather today. So there was a bit of concern that more and more people would be going out. But in fact, um, interestingly, I think you know, the city is more locked down today than it was last weekend. A lot of places have closed that were open last weekend. And it's not because the law has told them to. And that's what's interesting. It's a kind of self-regulation. Um, this weekend, we're seeing the closure of a lot of karaoke places, of pachinko parlors. And these were seen as places where clusters might happen, enclosed spaces uh, with poor ventilation. And they'd even identified a cluster, say, Kabukicho, which is the, you know, as you know, the entertainment district in Shinjuku in Tokyo. Um, there's, there's been a cluster of cases in these small bars. So a lot of those places are actually closed this weekend um, to, to avoid that. But it's not because, you know, they are being forced to just the word has now gone out from the Tokyo governor that would be the request. Um, and I think we talked about this last week that a request here is 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 kind of an order, but uh, without saying it's an order. So I think you're seeing a lot more things shut down. Matsumoto Kiyoshi, big pharmacy chain, that's closed. Um, so they've closed these big central locations where people usually gather at the weekends. They're buying cosmetics, whatever, not necessarily um, uh, drugs. So I think there is a there is a def- definite difference this weekend. The weather looks really ropey tomorrow, um, rainy and much colder. So I think that will also keep people in. Matsumoto Kiyoshi closed. What are you going to do with your sort of manga eyeliner? That's a bit of a problem. <laughs> I mean, the one in Shibuya is such a magnet for for people. But actually, you know, if you go through Shibuya today, um, and I've seen pictures, it's much, much quieter. All the places that we've seen, Asakusa, you know, these places that usually are absolutely heaving, um, very, very quiet. And yesterday I was at Meiji Shrine uh, first thing in the morning, and it was usually, it's it's absolutely one of the busiest places. It's one of the biggest tourist attractions in Tokyo, and it was completely empty. So I think that's the sort of feeling at the moment people are, are staying in.
I think it must be culturally different, difficult right now, though, because, you know, this is the time of year when people, it is Sakura season. I imagine that, I guess, I, the Sakura, I think, uh, the cherry blossoms came a little bit early this year, um, if I understand. Well, actually, they were even out when I was in Tokyo almost what, three or four weeks ago um, at this point. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's it's coming to a, a bit of a close, um, I would imagine. But it must be just incredibly difficult, uh, you know, for people to 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 stay indoors. As you said, a, a request from the governor is, is a bit of an order, but um, it must be extraordinarily tempting. And I'm, I am wondering, do you see a bit of a generational shift? Um, you know, those, you know, the older silver set in Tokyo who've, who've been through so much, um, are they perhaps a little bit more the ones who are more tempted to go outside, even though they might be higher risk um, than, than, of course, uh, the young in Tokyo? Well, I mean, you're seeing a few children out and about, which surprised me. I did pop down to the shops earlier. But I think Tokyo, they've taken that temptation away because the weather is amazing and there are still cherry blossoms and it, they really are spectacular, as you know. They've closed a lot of parks, so very few parks now open, a few small play parks. But places where there are particularly good cherry blossoms, they've just shut the gates, uh, so there's no temptation. And as you know, usually people would be you know, in their millions picnicking under cherry trees at the moment. And uh, that's just not happening. It, it was slightly happening at the beginning of the season. And I think the governor of Tokyo just realized, right, we need to shut this down. So that was one thing they did. They just closed the park. So Yoyogi Park near the Monocle Bureau is now closed um, permanently at the moment. I mean, they don't know when it will reopen. I, I asked a security guard there this week. He said, we don't know, but they've just kept that closed. And that's a huge loss to Tokyo. You know, Tokyo doesn't have many big green open spaces as you know and and that's one of the biggest and it's completely closed at the moment uh, just i wonder the announcement um that's come from the the u.s embassy uh in in tokyo that uh has gone out to americans which is that look if you want to get back to the states you better go now uh because uh things might be locked down for for a while and i'm wondering if and of course we've been talking about this this bigger lockdown certainly for feels like almost 10 days now what is going to happen in Japan. But did that send a, a number of, of ripples out? Is is there quite a big discussion? The fact that if the US embassy is talking this up, um, then we're looking at something which is far reaching, which of course is going to go beyond Tokyo. I can't imagine that you say you're going to lock the country down and you only just focus on Tokyo, Osaka and Kyoto. Uh, it's, it's going to have to be the whole shebang or nothing, no? Yeah, and also now we're seeing clusters all over Japan. I mean, obviously, Tokyo is absolutely the worst. And today, they just came out with today's figures uh, for new infections. It's gone into triple figures for the first time today. 110 has just been reported. So so definitely that's new. But no, I mean, I think, you know, what the American embassy said, which and it also brought in this discussion about testing, which has been a big question here, that Japan has not been doing that many tests. They've, they've defended that policy. The government has defended that policy very strongly, saying... There's no point in testing everyone. We're testing people um, when they need to be tested. And then the people around them were identifying clusters. Um, and, you know, it's it's a waiting game at the moment. It's unclear whether that policy is going to be effective or not. You know, at the moment, the numbers are, are good, but they are definitely increasing. And, you know, we've been talking about this lockdown. Um, it, it sort of feels like, you know, the phony war situation where, you know, we're waiting for this lockdown. It's not happening, but numbers are going up. And um, I think particularly in Tokyo, obviously, other places not so affected, but that that 
it, it seems to edge closer and closer to more of a, a, you know, a serious lockdown. But no, Osaka's bad as well. And, you know, in Tokyo, they took the decision to keep the schools closed at least until May. You know, obviously, that's, that's, that will be open to discussion in May. But I think Tokyo is the big discussion at the moment, just because the numbers here are worse. And, um, you know, the testing issue, um, you know, remains to be proved. And, you know, we're talking about it all over the world, aren't we? Who has got it right? is, you know, is is testing the answer and, and we're not clear. And in Japan has obviously decided at the moment that mass testing is 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 not the answer. Fiona, uh, just before we go, is, is there much of a discussion if you look in the pages of the Asahi Shimbun, the Yomiuri Shimbun, the Nikkei, is, is there also a discussion? You're talking about, okay, a, a triple digit, you know, increase in the hundreds. It's not, it's not thousands like we're seeing elsewhere. We're talking about a country which has over a hundred million people. Is there an ethical debate also in the Japanese press about what is the trade-off here? A completely closed society that you're going to close down the world's third biggest economy uh, because, yeah, we, we, you, you're, you're in, you know, you've got thousands of, of cases potentially, uh, but versus, of course, you know, uh, closing down, you know, one of two major economic engines on the in Asia Pacific. No, I mean, that's a huge discussion. The business angle is absolutely massive. And I mean, clearly, they do not want to shut down the economy. Um, you know, the repercussions are just too enormous. So yeah, that, that's a big discussion. You know, they've been offering emergency loans. And, you know, the, the, the take up in Tokyo has, has, has been quite extraordinary. These are emergency loans for small and mid-sized companies. You know, it's already the, the you know, request for assistance has already gone over a billion dollars. So already people are hurting. So the idea that you know, the potential for the economic harm with a full lockdown is obviously really terrifying the government um, and they're doing everything to avoid that. So, yeah, I think that is that's going to be a big, big discussion in the next week or so. I think you're right about the numbers. They're not, you know, when you see what's going on in Europe, um, obviously it's no, nothing like that. I think what, you know, and this is what the US embassy was saying with the lack of testing, are we about to see an explosion of cases? And we've been talking about that we just don't know. What do we know? And if there is an explosion, then what will happen? So um, I think at the moment, the idea is let's, you know, that they're, they're in a sort of holding pattern, but they're putting in place these emergency packages. They're talking about next week, there's going to be financial assistance for households that are hurting. It's going to be a cash handout. Not that much, I felt. They were talking about 300,000 yen, which is about two and a half thousand euros. Um, and that, so that's, potentially coming in this supplementary budget that's coming up. Uh, Fiona Wilson in Tokyo uh, will, of course, keep following this uh, as as ever. You're listening to Monocle on Saturday. It's uh, just uh, coming up to 26 minutes uh, past the hour. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're, we've got uh, Juliet Lindley here still looking at uh, the papers from across Europe and around the world. We're also going to be crossing over to Hong Kong to speak to our bureau chief there, James Chambers. Stay with us. What can you learn in a minute? More than you think if you subscribe to Monocle's daily email newsletter. The Monocle Minute provides fresh analysis of breaking news and direct-to-your-inbox insights on everything from global affairs to entrepreneurship. On Saturdays with the weekend edition, we'll widen your horizons with rye observation, drinking and dining recommendations and must-know openings, plus our editor-in-chief Tyler Brulé's worldly weekly column too. Subscribe now at monocle.com slash minute. The Entrepreneurs has undergone a bit of a makeover, and we want you, our listeners, to get involved. 
It's a strange time to be a small business owner. And so we are giving you the opportunity to ask questions to industry leaders, from retailers to CEOs to creatives. Find out about taking your startup to the next level. Maybe you want to know more about how to move a fashion company online. Perhaps you're uncertain about funding. Whatever's playing on your mind, email us at question at monocle.com and we'll get our experts on it. Tune in to The Entrepreneurs every Wednesday at 2000 London time or subscribe at Apple Podcasts. The Entrepreneurs in association with UBS. And welcome back to Zurich. We're live and you're with me, Tyler Blay. Also, Juliet Lindley is here uh, with the papers. We're going to be talking to James Chambers, our bureau chief in, uh, in Hong Kong uh, in a moment. I'm sure he'd like to be in Tokyo as well from time to time. Uh, Juliet, uh, you, you took us to, we did, the, we did, we got the Swiss papers out of the way before we go to Hong Kong. Uh, something from Italy? Italy? That's good, Italy. Corriere. Corriere, okay. Okay, here's your headline on Corriere. Troppi fuori casa, più controlli, as you know. Um, too many people are still going out, even though they have these draconian So this is what they're leading with on a Saturday that yeah. we're, we're well into this now of yeah. course not yeah. nice weather yep. probably all over Italy and and, uh, and and what are they what are they saying as a result well um, in in the last 48 hours 15,000 fines were issued 15,000 in the street yes <laughs> so people who are caught you know um, what are we talking about, about now without... are, are we in are we in the hundreds of territory if you get a fine now in Italy it's, it's... I think it's up to 4,000 right okay so yeah and yesterday, talking to uh, a, a colleague in Rome, and she said, you know, I do take, they have a, a six-year-old, seven-year-old son, I do take him out on his bike. And I said, the fine is pretty high. She said, well, I know, but we're just going crazy in here, so I'm willing to risk it. And she's not, I mean, you're not talking about uh, a millionaire or anything, but it's just that everyone is going quite nutty. And as you know, the weather is really good in Rome. It's very warm. So yeah, so a lot of fines are being issued. And uh, you've probably heard, just like in France, you have this auto-certificazione that you have to, it's a self um written document it's like a whole, it's stating like a whole, why you're going a whole out. pass for adults. Exactly, exactly. And so I was talking to another colleague who was saying that um, her husband visits um, his elderly mother out of town, outside of Rome, and he takes four different certificates with him. So according to the, at what point he could be stopped at a roadblock, he'll put out a different one. Either it's one saying he's going to a supermarket if he's close enough to home and close enough to the supermarket, or one stating that, I don't know, that he's got to go and visit his, his elderly mother because she's got... Uh, medical issues so but they're still i don't know is it in their nature to sort of uh, want to flaunt the rules well, for very very human reasons you know i mean getting out getting your little kid out the house because he's going stir crazy and you don't even have a terrace is, is is very understandable i guess and wanting to visit your elderly mother is understandable so yes so a lot of fines also for businesses that are actually doing business despite them being banned um and uh yeah and then of course there's always the ongoing issue of the prisons Yes. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that's just Italy, is it? No, I mean, we even saw in Switzerland uh, last night uh, in, in Geneva a bit of a flare-up uh, as well. Prisoners, of course, having issues with the conditions uh, in, in Geneva. Uh, and they had to call out extra reinforcements there as well. But I think it's also it's a, it's a mixed picture in Switzerland. Uh, I was talking to uh, a banker friend in Geneva, and he said that you know, his feeling is that um, in the French part of uh, Switzerland, certainly in and around uh, the Geneva area, people are not behaving um, <laughs> 
maybe as well, or at least the, the, the same sense he gets if people are in St. Gallen or Basel or, or Zurich. Um, and then, as we know, there's been you know a special series of measures as well, just in Ticino in Switzerland uh, for the Italian part of the country, where there's you know they're asking people for over over 65. You really you Don't need to stay in. I mean, and 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 in a way, this is actually it, it's a rule. You cannot go out. Of course, they've sort of run and uh, run into and locked horns with the federal council in Bern, even though. The federal government, of course, agrees it shouldn't happen. Um, these are these are issues at at a, at a federal level and maybe not at a, at a cantonal level. Um, so, of course, uh, a lot of administrative time uh, taken up. We are. Um, let's come back to the Italian papers in a moment. I just want to jump over to uh, to Hong Kong. James Chambers, our bureau chief, is there. Uh, good afternoon, James. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon, Tyler. How are you? I'm very well. How's a lockdown? Would you five six days away from uh, seeing the freedom of the streets? Actually, probably eight hours away. My lo- lockdown for me finishes at midnight tonight, so it's my last day of uh, prison or freedom, depending on how you look at it. But no, no bars or, or, or pubs to go to. I, I, I believe that uh, there's at least what, a two-week suspension now on, uh, on 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 such venues uh, at at this point, or is that is that fully confirmed now or not? So this this new the newest uh, the latest news in Hong Kong is uh, the government has shut down places that exclusively sell alcohol, so bars and pubs. That came in quite symbolically at 6 p.m. yesterday, so you know Friday just after work, when in normal times uh, a lot of people in Hong Kong would hit, you know, head to the bar and wind down with a drink. So a lot of people did go to their bar yesterday just to see what this rule actually meant in practice. Um, and a lot of bars have had to shut but there are kind of these loopholes where you're a bar and a restaurant. So you found a lot of people last night were ordering a lot of food so they could still continue drinking their beers. Uh, and and on that, uh, I guess this this new phase that we're in in Hong Kong, and of course we're seeing something similar down down the track in, in, in Singapore um, as well. Is the analysis and and I guess the reflection on, on what is happening? This is all the second wave. This this call for people to to return back. So is it? We're mostly seeing that this this new spike uh, is is really people who have returned back, or are these also just pockets of infection that uh, that might have already been there and have somehow rumbled up again? I think this is a kind of a belt and braces approach because if you look at the numbers, uh, it's still people coming back from abroad. Uh, so the, the latest figures are we had 45 new cases, 34 of them were travel related, most of them kind of students coming back from either the UK or the US. Um, and when it comes to people who are actually picking up infections or, or the virus from <laughs> bars, we're looking at about six uh, of the remaining nine. So uh, I guess you could say it's the government still just being very thorough. Uh, but there was there was a, a time when I think the government got a bit angry and, and so did a lot of people here when about two or three weeks ago, when, pe- when, when people were feeling a bit more comfortable, they headed out, they were on the streets, they were drinking outside of bars, and particularly foreigners who weren't wearing masks. Um, and then when the numbers started to tick up again, uh, there was a, a bit of kind of blame going on. Uh, I'm trying to suggest that uh, it, w- it was the, the foreign population in Hong Kong that weren't uh, being as stringent as, um, as the locals. So there's a bit of that. There's a bit of kind of trying to make sure that everybody follows the rules. Um, and the, you get the feeling that this kind of ban on bars is, 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 is targeted uh, on that community. 
Uh, and just going, just going back to also just leisure time, tennis courts, uh, beaches, etc. Uh, where, where, what's the government's position uh, on that? Because you know, I mean, you were reporting this very well, James, a few weeks ago. It was the, those first sunny days. People were feeling good. Maybe there was a bit of an overstep on on some sides, but uh, but beyond bars and uh, and and pubs, etc. Uh, where else are we seeing uh, bans on gathering? Yeah, so they, they banned, uh, like they shut down a lot of public facilities uh, months ago, you know, swimming pools and, and things like that. But, the, you know, the parks are still open. Uh, it'd be difficult to close them because they're normally open 24 hours. Beaches are closed technically, but of course, um, it's, it's very hard to, to police that. Most other things have been closed down in the last week. So we had, um, you know, gyms, cinemas. Um, uh, KTV, Mahjong parlors was one that the chief executive seemed to be resisting the hardest. Um, it seems like the only one that she won't be closing down for now, and, and it seems common with a lot of the world, is hairdressers and salons. That seems to be the last place that uh, remains open. So a lot of places are shut, um, but you, you still get people on the streets doing their exercises and, and walking around freely. I mean, today is a is a very solemn day in the China, China in mainland China, Taiwan, in Hong Kong. It's the Qingming Festival, which is a tomb sweeping day when families go to honor their ancestors and and, and clean the the grave sites and burn incense. So that's that's going to be a bit different this year because they've put a, a cap on the amount of people who can gather in public to four. Um, so families, a lot of families are having to go in, in two groups or, or, or not even go at all. Um, and there's been a lot of that kind of um, hand clapping for, for the health workers. And a lot of the, the big skyscrapers that have LED lights on the outside have been kind of beaming messages of support uh, this weekend. So I guess this, this, this whole idea of honoring uh, the dead takes on a, a bit of new meaning this year. James, what level of, of let's say, of solidarity uh, do you see between Hong Kong and uh, your island neighbors over in in Taiwan uh, at the moment? Of course, there's been you know various flare-ups as there as there always are uh, when it comes to Taiwan uh, versus uh, China, and you know the Taiwanese have felt that they're, they're not getting enough recognition. Uh, of course, they're not part of the WHO. Um, they, they obviously they they, they lack di- diplomatic uh, recognition in in many corners, but you know they they said from a benchmark point of view they've they've done a number of interesting things and no one's really paying attention to them and um, what, how do hong kongers feel about the relationship to uh, to the taiwanese well i mean hong kong and taiwan uh, do feel very close because they they both feel like they're being slightly oppressed by the mainland and by beijing uh, and when during the protests you know the, the taiwan was was a bolt hole for a lot of uh, activists here who wanted to try and escape the, the kind of long arm of uh, of beijing uh, and so many of them fl- fled to, to Taiwan or, or decided to move there. But it's been slightly different this time around because uh, Taiwan, they, they've, they've probably responded uh, the best to this and they're getting a lot of respect for it. But they shut down their borders very quickly and they shut out Hong Kong. So uh, very early on, we weren't allowed to go uh, to Taiwan. Uh, and I guess that seems to have uh, changed things slightly because it was very much everyone, you know, looking after their own and and uh, you know looking after their own little island, uh, and so that that feeling of of solidarity is, is kind of being cut off uh, for a while because you know nobody can travel. There used to be loads and loads and loads of flights going back in, from Taipei to Hong Kong, but that came to a stop a long time ago. So I think that solidarity is kind of being uh, cut off for now. Um, but of course, you know, once once this is behind us, it'll uh, be we'll come back to the whole the, the political uh, 
brotherhood that, uh, that, that exists between the two. Uh, tell me, uh, just going back to the hairdressers that are still open uh, and, and small businesses, how um, how responsive have, have the banks uh, been? Because obviously we've seen Carrie Lam uh, talk about you know, various things. She's she's offered advice on things like rent relief, and there's been encouraging words to, of course, um, you know how do how does Hong Kong help its small business um, community? Is Hong Kong at that point yet? Uh, because again, it's been this sort of hybrid lockdown that we've seen, you know, even through what was the first wave of this, James, a lot of things were open uh, and, and, and life has sort of carried on. You've not seen maybe the same situation that we're seeing in parts of Europe, increasingly in, in North America as well. So when it comes to these types of stimulus packages and and what is what is on offer, if, if I feel that I'm a restaurant and I've really been hard hit or I'm running my fruit stand or I'm running my bookshop, um, what what is there? What is the response of both government and the banks been uh, for those uh, those small enterprises? Well, the government were were quite quick to come in with uh, some big packages. Uh, they the Hong Kong government does enjoy having a, a you know a, a massive kitty uh, for a rainy day fund to spend, um, and they have got that that firepower. The, the banks also have um, been quite quick to say that they won't be enforcing repayment and being given. Uh, borrowers' holidays on their on their loans. The big question here is what the landlords do. I mean, it's a perennial issue in Hong Kong how high the rents are and how tough and hard and heartless a lot of the landlords are here. Um, and the, the, up to now, you know, the, the Hong Kong and Hong Kong government has been taking a very notorious and famous laissez-faire approach to all this and just let the, the kind of market look after itself. It's perhaps one of the most capitalist places on earth when it comes to that. But you're starting to see, um, you know, the, the government make noises about uh, the landlords, sh- you know, should be doing more, uh, which is a big thing for the government to, to step in and say. Um, and then you see the landlords themselves and, and the, the kind of organizations that represent landlords starting to agree among themselves that they should be doing more um, and they should be, uh, you know, re- reducing rents. That's that's the conversation we're at now, you know, halving rents from from 100 percent to 50, uh, not uh, you know giving people rent-free periods uh, quite yet, um, and then you know Hong Kong will probably often go the same way as Singapore because you know they're very much in competition and they when one does something the other does a similar thing and there was uh, there's talk in in the parliament down there about um, you know giving tenants uh, rent-free periods so that's where we're at right now. Um, it, it's funny to think we've got to this far uh, and we've only got. You know, we're only talking about a rent reduction, um, but I mean, that's Hong Kong for you. Indeed. Uh, James Indeed. Chambers, our bureau uh, chief uh, in Hong Kong. Very good to talk to you. It's uh, just uh, coming up, just hitting 1041 uh, here in Zurich, 941 uh, if you are listening uh, in London. This is Monocle 24. We're back right after this. Funny how many people get these things wrong. I go into a lot of jazz clubs and I go, what made you build it like this? Everyone's got an opinion about design, but join us on a journey to cut through the noise. We sit down with the design greats. It's just bloody-minded inquisitiveness, really. And have you covered on everything from architecture to product design to fonts and fashion too? There's so many collections being designed. Actually, there may be easier lifespan on a designer's role at the helm of a brand. And of course, we're at all the key events in the design calendar with in-depth reports from our global network of correspondents. Two and a half hours by train from Amsterdam lies the historic city of Maastricht, which every year hosts the fabulous Tay Fair. 
Monocle on Design, if you'd guessed it, is Monocle's weekly design show. Tune in every Tuesday at 2000 London time or download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. And you're back with me, Tyler Brule. We're live uh, in Zurich. It's uh, just uh, 17.42 in Tokyo, 16.42 uh, in Hong Kong, 10.42 here in Zurich on a very, very sunny Saturday. I think it's going to get rather warm. Juliet Lindley is here uh, looking, you're going to, you're looking a bit toasty in that top. Um, I know, I should have brought uh, Anyway, but uh, it's fine. It's, uh, we're keeping it reasonably cool in uh, in studio here. Before we went to James in Hong Kong, you were uh, doing, you had a piece out of the Corriere. They're leading on this fact, 15,000 fines handed out uh, uh, in, in, in really the last days. Uh, people sneaking out Yes, house, yeah. not, naughty people leaving their houses all over Italy. Uh, just tell me, uh, what do you want to say at the Corriere or do you have something else for another I'm paper? I'm going to stick with Corriere and just uh, look at um, one of the articles by Antonio Polito who says la sindrome di Chiesce, there's the syndrome of those who are escaping or who are sneaking out and everyone believes that the virus is elsewhere and it's not where they are but he, he makes a bit of a jab at the Swedes saying the Italians are being a bit like the Swedes i.e. they're not staying in lockdown they're not staying in their homes and you know usually the Italians are um, portrayed as those who follow the rules perhaps less than their Nordic neighbours so there's a bit of um, a little bit of gloating there perhaps but he does make a very good point he says it's really hard to keep your distance when you're in the narrow alleyways of Naples for instance or in a small um, neighbourhood little market in Rome in the little piazzas it's very hard to keep your two metre distances and also he, he makes the point of you know an elderly person in Sicily is not going to go online on Amazon to order their, their groceries or their cigarettes if you want so the good news is that apparently people are not taking their children out that much. And there's a bit of controversy whether you could or you couldn't take them out with you. And actually, you can't. But can I have my moment of spirituality? Yes, you, you take, take your moment in one minute. But I think there's, there's something interesting about this piece, though, which is, of course, Italy versus Sweden. Fascinating to compare the two. But also that you know, Sweden's official, let's say, policies and rules are very different. I was, I was even just having a little bit of a scan around. You know, you can look at many, many things are closed all over Europe. But you know, if you compare Amsterdam versus Zurich versus what's going on in Milan versus Stockholm, Stockholm is very much open for business today. The department stores are open. You can go to all kinds of specialty stores. You can go and get your haircut. You can do all kinds of things. And, you know, on one side, the Swedish government is saying also, you know, just they, you, you can't stop this. It would be very, it's almost a, a constitutional challenge to sort of lock down uh, the country. So in a way, it's almost officially sanctioned that, okay, we have to let sort of people do what they want. They need to follow the rules. Um, but we're not in a situation where we can be imposing maybe the same heavy-handed, some will call it draconian um, setup uh, that we certainly have um, in, in Italy at the moment. And as my colleagues in Rome say, we do tend to be uh, not very great rule followers in no. this country. Such a, such a stereotype. Okay, spiritual, spiritual moment. Moment Go of spirituality. No, well, the Pope went on air on last night's newscast in Italy. To it was, it was obviously a taped message, and he's just called on people to make gestures of tenderness towards those who are suffering. He talked about the elderly, small children, and and he. His message was, the Pope is close to you, and also please pray for me. Uh, he, is, he is an elderly person. He has been tested, and he, he didn't come out positive. But he kept saying, you know, the Pope knows what you're going through. And uh, Francis was saying, it's a moment that's difficult for all of us. Please be generous and help your neighbors. And he said, in this moment of the physical distancing, if you want, be creative in showing your love for people. I thought that was rather nice. And then 
on that note, uh, there was a very uh, touching, if you want, a little profile further back in the in the in the pages of Corriere, where they profile a postman in Bergamo. Bergamo, one of the hardest hit cities up north in Italy. And actually, it's a postwoman. What is the expression for that? A female postal worker? But yeah, she's... Postperson? She, postperson. And it's very touching. She says she, she she's reflecting on going to people's doors, ringing the doorbell, and no one comes. And so many people who have uh, passed away. And she, she lost several elderly relatives in this corona crisis. And it, it's just a, a rather small uh, look at uh, life in a little village and, and how this, this global pandemic, it, and when you look at the little small stories, everyone has, has been affected by it. Absolutely. We're going to go to the Financial Times um, in in a moment. Um, but uh, as I said at the top of the show, and, and as we do every week, uh, we have uh, it's either Andrew or myself. Uh, of course, we have our columns uh, over over the weekend. Uh, we heard from Andrew uh, in the last hour. I also Andrew did a really a, an outstanding piece uh, last week, and his it was really um, it was an homage to London um, and and just the great love for the city and all that London is uh, is going through. Um, Andrew's a bit of a punchier uh, view this week. Uh, five little observations uh, about the city. Andrew's going to join us in a moment. But first, uh, let's have a listen to his column. For a second time this year, we completed a magazine with everybody working from home. It's the Entrepreneur's Special. We've spoken to a lot of people about how they're trying to maintain precious company cultures keep businesses hunkered down until the storm passes, or retool and refocus to do good in times of need, and also make big plans for when this is over. It's overwhelming how so many business people have this resolve, this belief that in the end it will be okay. Monocle started in 2007, just before the global crash, and our business coverage has often had a biographical edge. We've been living through the challenges that we're reporting on. And so it is again. How's your meal planning going? I seem to have slipped into French picnic mode. The local bakery that I never normally go to is still open. And I have, in two weeks, developed a craving for sourdough that is alarming. You can be sat working away and suddenly Mr. Sado starts calling your name from the pantry. There's something about his soothing accent that is impossible to ignore. Monsieur, wouldn't you like a little slice of me? I'll let you butter me up. Perhaps you'd like to pop a little cheese on top. He's got me snared by his doughy heart. I may have to find a buns, baps and bread support group. Mostly I buy it that people have become kinder during the lockdowns. You certainly see neighbourhoods pulling together. In my street, we're now doing the shopping for our octogenarian neighbour. Don't let the number fool you. In normal times, he has a busier social and cultural life than me. People are hanging out of their windows too at the end of the day to catch up with each other from afar. And there's a lot of distance waving. But you wonder if everyone is so generous. Walking the dog around the block with my partner, we bump into two people we know who stop to say hello. Now, in the UK, gatherings of more than two people who do not live in your household are banned. We stand miles apart, speak for seconds, but already I spot someone spying on us from behind a curtain. Are they about to take our picture and then call the police? We move on, but you can see how the Stasi found so many helpers. 
And indeed, British police officers have been asking for neighbours to call them if they spot someone having, say, more than the one prescribed moment of outdoor exercise a day. Officer, a gentleman has just left his house in lycra leggings and earlier today he was definitely on a bicycle. Well, perhaps the lycra leggings are an offence. Another fork in the road. Are we going to be more or less of a sharing community after this? I cannot imagine how risky shared living spaces must feel just now. Who would want to go into an Uber pool or have a floating spot in a WeWork office? Privacy and distance look set to become new benchmarks. I get a report that in our absence from Midori House, some mice have been spotted on the editorial floor. Perhaps they're taking over the company in our absence, appointing themselves to run a fledgling new shadow title, Mousicle. I imagine one fashioning a little outfit from the clothes left by our fashion editor's desk so that it can look the part of a style writer. Another writing about how to furnish a mouse hole from our design editor's perch. A mousy culture editor writing about the new rat pack. Maybe one is right now having a swivel in my chair. We call pest control. Our editor, Andrew Tuck, there. And, of course, uh, you can read uh, more from hear more from him uh, across uh, all of our platforms here on Monocle 24. I am happy to say Juliet Lindley is still here with us. Also, Andrew uh, is joining us uh, on the line, hopefully from, is it a sunny perch this morning? It must be. I think the weather's good in London as well. Yes, it's beautiful. The, the sun has cracked out and uh, just echoing everything you've been saying, there's been lots of messages from central government. Don't enjoy the weather. Don't go outside too much. Don't go and meet friends. Don't go and ha- dare to have a drink outside or anything. So uh, we're meant to appreciate it from afar. Luckily, I have the tiniest roof terrace, but it's suddenly become one of the, the best assets uh, about the little house that we have. So uh, I'm very pleased we have somewhere to go and sit out later on today. Uh, Andrew, uh, one thing which is uh, getting a lot of attention, Bloomberg has a very uh, good story this morning, which is is looking at this ongoing problem uh, in the UK with with small businesses. We're now two weeks uh, along, uh, and you know over a hundred thousand businesses uh, applying for these uh, these loans, people just not having uh, access to them. I just I wonder, you know. On one side, you know a lot of small uh, uh, small entrepreneurs, uh, small business owners. Uh, it's a story, as, as I said, that we've been we've been following. You know, are, are there multiple moods in London at the moment? You know, on one side, okay, behave um, in the sunshine, uh, follow what needs to be done, um, and then also just a reality of, of of the daily grind setting in, and and of course how people are going to have to respond and and, and deal with this, and and how do you move forward over the next few months? Well, it's. It's brutal, and I and I think that they they're hinting this morning. There was like two bits of briefing that went on this morning. Neil Ferguson, who's one of the, the Professor Neil Ferguson, who's one of the advisors of the government, said that by the end of May he would imagine that there would be enough testing in place and uh, enough tracing going on that you would be able to lift quite a lot of measures, not going back to normal. But then you also had this other message today from another advisor of the government, um, Professor Graham Medley, saying that they're still going to have to look at herd immunity because even if you damp down the numbers, you're left in a corner with nowhere to go. But speaking to friends who run companies, I have two friends who run an amazing tiny little garden centre here in London. Now, they ordered plants for this season. This is the biggest time of year for selling plants. Tens of thousands of pounds worth of plants coming into their warehouse. What do you do then? They're not allowed to open. So they're trying to rapidly move online. 
but it's not the same. People come into a, a tiny garden center in London and browse and purchase. It's not all pre-planned what you're going to do with, you know, whether you want to pot plant things. So those people are a huge challenge. And they, they employ, I think, 12 people. So those people are all kind of not earning their income. And then you just see this is echoed again and again and again. So it's scary for these people how they bounce back. And all of these people have found it almost impossible to get money off of the government. And I must say, Tyler, here, you know, we have this five o'clock briefing uh, every single day from, from the government, a health official normally, and a government minister come on and talk about what's happening, the numbers, the plans for their department, et cetera, et cetera. And they become less and less credible every single day. I, you know, watching Matt Hancock yesterday after he's done so many U-turns. Oh, I threw something at the T. I threw something at the TV yesterday. I was like so so angry. As you said, they're just trotting out the same thing, repeating repeating slogans, aren't they, Andrew? And then it's like, okay, where where are the solutions? Where are we going with this? And the tone, I, I find the tone. Uh, you know, of course, they want people to stay at home, so there needs to be a kind of an urgency to it. But he sounds like he's talking to a five year old, and I don't think it washes the people. And I, 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 it would be intriguing to see what happens on the other side of this, whether he's somebody who's going to keep his position because. He just does not come across as credible. And then they have, they, they try to seem to kind of share the burden by bringing other health officials. Now, we had someone very good yesterday talking about the death of two nurses here in the healthcare system. But again, the tone was a bit funny. It's like, okay, we understand the seriousness of it, but if, if that's meant to be me, a warning to us to stay inside, we've got that bit already. And you can see that from people's behavior. So I just don't like the tone of it. And I don't like the, the fact that they, they, they just don't know what they're telling you. And the other thing, finally, quickly on that, Tyler, is you know that every day people watch to see what the numbers are. There's reporting here this morning that the numbers really don't make any sense anyway because you see the total deaths for the 24-hour period before. They often don't include community deaths. And there's often a real lag of two or three days of reporting deaths even in hospitals before they get added to the number. So it's, it, it's become a kind of a very disappointing event at the end of the day. Mm. Juliet, uh, there was a poll here in Switzerland uh, recently, just saying that uh, you know public trust is is pretty is, is huge. It's almost like ninety percent uh, are are following with what the government is saying. You yeah. as a as, as a newcomer to Switzerland, have you been impressed uh, by the the daily briefings? We have something similar either at two or three o'clock every day here. What's what's your? I have been? been impressed, and I think in general the Swiss are they, they trust their government and they trust them to make the right decision at the right time and to take into account the psychological sides. And I'm wondering, um, uh, Andrew, uh, Boris Johnson's little selfie video that he sent out yesterday talking about tone and everything. Uh, what, what, do you, what, what was your opinion on that? And what are your people saying about stay home, stay focused? Let's end the clapping for the NHS. Tell us about that, Andrew. The, 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 the clapping is amazing. We went out on, on Thursday and it's, it's only the second week we've done it here. You do it on a Thursday at 8 o'clock, and it ratchets it up a bit this week. There's a guy down the road who I, I can never spot where he is, but he's got a trombone that he blasts. <laughs> and other people are bringing out pots out and here. banging them, and the, 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 the cacophony was so much louder. You see, I think in community, people are self-policing, and they're, they're doing their bit, and they, they, they know what, what has to be done. Poor old Boris Johnson, I would just say that it's, it's, it's very difficult being prime ministerial when you're sweaty and in your bedroom. And that's what he is. You know, he's, 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 he can't go to the press conferences. He, he can't engage properly. And you know, a, a slightly perspiring prime minister on a Zoom call just doesn't wash it. Now, on Sunday, we're going to have the Queen address the nation. 
she's only done it two or three times before in this format. She's going to be giving a message to the country. And I think that she will steal the march because you know, she will be looking <laughs> regal. But even she apparently is having a bad time because she doesn't normally live with her husband. And the, the two of them have had to kind of uh, live together for different type of self-isolation. Quarters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Tuck in London. We're going to have to leave it there as we approach okay. the top. There, have have a lovely day on on your on your small, not so small terrace. I, I've I've seen it before. Juliet Lindley, we're also have to leave it uh, as well. Very good seeing you. Uh, plans for the rest of the day? Such and a pleasure. Well, terrace as well, avoid right? The sunshine. T- t- no, well, we'll 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 be able to see if there's a tan lines uh, this time <laughs> next week. Uh, thanks to Andrew, uh, who we had on earlier, of course, James Chambers in Hong Kong, Fiona Wilson uh, in uh, Tokyo, and thanks to our producer today, Marcus Hippie, and of course our sound engineer back in London, Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Brule. Monocle on Saturday is going to return next week, but don't forget, I'm back tomorrow at the same time with Monocle on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Have a great Saturday. Goodbye. 